Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And we have a special episode today. Um, we're two retired speech-language pathologists, but we are still excited about the field, and we want to share this information with parents and teachers, and especially today, anybody who's interested in going into the field. So we're going to kind of explain what does a speech-language pathologist do, particularly in the schools, because an SLP can deal with um, people from birth to death, and it's huge, and this would be a 10-hour podcast if we were to try to cover everything. So we're just going to quickly go through it to give you an idea of what, what a, a school SLP might do. So, let's just get started. Um, so, first of all, we, we want to uh, talk about speech sounds. Speech sounds are, are a really common thing, and it's what people think about when they think about an SLP. They think that we work with R's and T-H's and S's. Lisps. And, yeah, lisps. And we do... But it's actually a, a fairly small portion of what we do, but I'll, I'll go through some of the speech sound disorders. So one would be articulation, and that's where you just have difficulty saying the sound. So you might say W for R, so you might say uh, uh, Wed Wobin instead of Red Robin, um, or you might say um, uh, uh I'm thingle instead of I'm single, and that might be a turnoff if you're, if you're, you know, uh, trying to get a date. I, I always, I always <laughs> said it, it might be quite difficult to really be a credible lawyer if you had a really strong <laughs> lift. But I have to say, I've known people with lifts that have reached high places too. Well, and yeah, there, there, there are some. I've even heard some pro professors with a like a lateral lift. And so that's quite quite interesting. Noticeable. Very noticeable. noticeable. So uh, then there's uh, phonology. What's that? And stuttering. Let's trouble, jump, trouble, jump ahead. We'll trouble jump with ahead. speaking is kind of an issue, We're you know. jump ahead to stuttering, aren't we? <laughs> so there's uh, the way you say the sounds. Um, uh, the way you process the sounds, I guess, is better to say. So you might not process that some sounds continue. So instead of saying an S sound as S, you might say it as the T because you're stopping it. Or instead of understanding that some sounds are at the back of the mouth, uh, like a K, like a K, you might say it as a T. So titty-tat. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that uh, a phonological disorder is usually in a, a very young child or in the early um, years of, of acquiring speech. And the more processes that the child is doing, these little shortcuts to uh, uh, like making back sounds for front sounds or whatever, the more processes that they are, are using and keeping shortcuts going, the harder they are to understand. And so as time goes by, that baby talk um, and all these shortcuts just are supposed to develop and and uh, they don't in some children. They just keep lagging behind their peers and, and so we have to get them to stop using those shortcuts. Yeah, so even even one process could be the number of syllables in words. So they might just want to shorten the number of syllables. And I've even heard adults who, instead of say saying Saskatchewan, they say Saskatchewan. And I'm thinking, there's another syllable in that word. Yeah, or a typical one for a little developing child is they say Nana for, yeah. for banana. Right, yeah, yeah for sure. 
So, and it's a really common one, but it's an important one because it has a lot to do with reading. So if you don't have those sound processes, you're, you might have run into some trouble there. The next one is, uh, uh, under speech sound disorders, is childhood apraxia of speech. So those are children um, who have motor difficulties. Uh, so the part of the brain that's sending down the patterns of how to uh, position and move your articulators is um, impaired. The, the um, neurological pathway is um, keeping the child from being able to formulate the sounds. So there's nothing wrong with the muscles, like there's no difficulty or weakness, there's no drooling or anything like that. And the child can, if you um, ask them to discern a sound, um, they can hear it and they know, and they understand that they're having trouble, but they can't make themselves um, produce that. For example, you could say to a child, and this is the oral part, you could say to a child, stick out your tongue, and they can't, but they would put their fingers up to try to pull their tongue out to show you, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. Yeah. So it it is one of the more serious of the speech sound yeah. disorders. Yeah, it's not very common, but it is very serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then the other um, one that's neurological or related to you know difficulties somehow in the brain commanding uh, the muscles is uh, what's called dysarthria, and that's imprecision of um, the speech um, system. So it could be anything from I I don't have the lung capacity. I don't have the the lungs, then a, a going up system, my voice maybe doesn't work very well, and I can't put my voice on properly or strongly, or um, then I may have trouble with my tongue, or I might have trouble with moving my lips, or um, I might have paralysis uh, of some of the muscles. Um, an example would be for us developmentally as children with um, cerebral palsy, and so the system, it's the motor pro, um, issues that are causing um, speech sound difficulties. And then there's tongue thrust. And so tongue thrust is a, a swallowing issue that should be resolved by six months. So up until six months, children are uh, sucking to get milk and their tongue comes forward naturally uh, to force the milk out. And it's perfectly normal but once they start drinking from a cup their tongue needs to start going back if it doesn't they end up putting their teeth and sometimes their palate out of alignment it's it's not good and and it has implications for speech as well yeah the most common thing that happens is children start to lisp yeah and it's because again if you're sitting there in your room right now and and you were sitting quietly and in a relaxed position your tongue should be sucked up onto the roof of your mouth and for children that um, have tongue thrust lots of times that tongue is laying flat down in the bottom of their their mouth and uh, so it doesn't develop the strength and tone that it should for um, making the s sound right and so, that, so it, again, there's intervention for that, and we do programming, and, yeah, specific and, programming for that. Yeah. So uh, that kind of covers speech sound disorders. How about language? That's a big area. Yes. Again, in comparison to speech sound disorders, 
this is probably one of the um, essential areas that speech pathologists working in schools uh, deal in. And um, it's the most impacting of all of the, the interventions that we do uh, with regards to academics and socialization and, and all of that. Uh, so there are two aspects of uh, language. It's really what you can understand, like the receptive language, the language that's coming into your system. And then we also are interested in what a child can express with regards to language. And, and that would be, um, they're kind of in the, in the modalities, the signals coming into you would be um, uh, listening and reading, because those signals are coming in, so what you understand. And the um, other two would be then um, expressive would be writing and speaking. And those are the things that are output. And so children can have problems in both areas, or they can have problems in, in just one of those modalities more so than the other. Right. And, and again, uh, the assessments that are needed to sort of decide why a child is having understanding or why they're having trouble um, speaking or writing are very, very elaborate. So we usually start with one that generically looks at all the areas so we can then narrow down and go, well, which category of language are they having trouble with? So the assessment then, um, Cheryl, if you so, want to just explain sure. the... Sure. So one of the things that we want to look at are basic concepts. So do they understand, you know, basic concepts like over, under, on, um, in, um, big, small, tall, you know, those kind of basic concepts. And also then a big one that I find is following directions. That's it, because if you have difficulty with following directions, you're going to have a lot of difficulty in school. So just even following directions, there's complexity to that. So mm -hmm. we talk about um, the number of elements that are in an instruction. So am I asking a child, point to the blue one? Or am I saying, point to the blue giraffe? Or am I saying, point to the blue giraffe and the yellow cow? Or am I saying, point to the blue giraffe that is wearing a hat or point to the big blue giraffe after you point to the small yellow fish. Right. That's a very complex one. So again, we can analyze, is it the link that's bothering that child? They can't retain in their memory that length of, of their, um, the utterance that we're, we're uh, giving them? Or is there a chance that it's specific um, basic concepts they don't get? So they don't understand blue or they don't know which one is the giraffe. Right. And so we, even at that level, just in following directions, we analyze their errors and look to see, oh, well, you know what, they don't know about big and little. Yeah, yeah. Or they don't know about before, the concept of before. So yeah, there's a, I, I love doing following directions because you can really narrow it down and see what the issue is. And another one is uh, story retell. And when I'm talking to uh, parents of children in that are going to start kindergarten, 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 <laughs> that's a new thing. Um, I, it, when they ask me, what does my child need to know to start kindergarten? I always recommend that they be able to retell a simple little story. Just three sentences, doesn't have to be long and doesn't have to be exact, but it has to be all the elements of the story in order.
Right. So even in that, when we are looking at children, there are assessments that do tell us, you know, what is the child struggling with, with regards to telling a story. They don't remember the characters. They don't have action words to be able to tell that the child um, uh, was uh, whipping uh, up some whipped cream or uh, just... Right, or they don't have that vocabulary. That's and what they, I mean, yeah. yeah. they can't yeah. remember those words because they've never heard them before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so then, vo and then there's vocabulary. Just how many words do they understand and how many words do they use? And usually we understand more words than we use, especially small children. And when we're talking about assessments, um, we're usually talking about what is called a standardized assessment, and that's that they've done these same activities, these same test items, with, say, maybe 1,000 children or 500 children of a certain age, and they have come up with the average range that a child should be able to handle whatever test item you're, you're giving. So then it gives you a little bit of a comparison to, is this child doing as well as they should or not? Um, and then there's understanding uh, or formulating sentences, which is um, a really uh, another great one to look at um, because some kids can't formulate a sentence, so they'll just say a key word that they're trying to get across. So maybe they'll say fish, and then what they wanted to say, when you say what you do on the weekend, they say fish. Well, what they need to be able to say at, say, age five is, well, we went fishing or I went fishing with my grandpa. That's a, a typical sentence for a five-year-old. Or an example would be we would give um, a word to a child and say, uh, let's say it was above. Mm -hmm. Make up a sentence with the word above. And for a certain age, they should be able to, to easily make up a sentence that has that word in it. Mm -hmm. And so we can compare it to other children then. Um, and then understanding spoken paragraphs. Again, you can just imagine that's a, an important one for school. Yes, and again, this is one that's, I, I really enjoy kind of showing the teachers back uh, the results of this because I think it does give them insight as to how much this child is struggling. So an example would be like a seven-sentence um, paragraph. You know, we would read that to a child and then we would ask them questions afterwards. So it was, you know, um, Mary went to school, uh, she played on the playground, she uh, played on the swings, then she went in, and uh, they had English. And so you'd be asking, you know, the questions, what did Mary do, or um, right. where was she, or any of those sentences. And it, again, it, it goes, we can test all the way up to grade 12. So, I mean, it does get to be more complex than that. But again, you find children who, they didn't understand a word you said, and they can't answer any question. And when we try to tell um, teachers about that, it's like they're in the classroom. This is how much, it, out of you know, 10 questions, they got one. And so that's probably what they're gleaning from when you are speaking in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so it does a, a give a lot of insight to, to their struggles. And then sometimes we just want the kids in an assessment to define words for us so that we can know if they understand what the words are. But another thing that I get out of that when they're defining the words is how much other vocabulary do they have? So how, how much can they come up with about a certain word? And then how many different ways can they define it? Say a word like pair. You know, for a small child, 
they might say, my mom gave me a pear for lunch. For a, an older child, you would want them to say, well, a pear is a, is a, a fruit, and it can also be, mean a pair of things that go together like socks. And, you know, there's all of these different types of definitions. And, and, and so we're looking for that child again, and, and it happens a lot where we, you know, say, uh, what is a pair? Well, it's a thing. It's a thing. And it does, it's for, for stuff when you're doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes, they'll, it, well, it's yellow, or sometimes it's green. That's not helpful because yeah. there's a lot of things that are yellow yeah. and green. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's uh, assembling sentences, and oh, this one of my favorites on an, on a test where you give them parts of uh, a sentence that's all mixed up, and they have to assemble it. it. it it's a visual yeah. uh, task. Yeah. So yeah, you, I love it's this like one. you've chopped up a, a sentence you've written. Yeah, yeah. And scrambled it up, and now they have to put it back together. Yeah, yeah. And that actually has a lot of insight as to. Um, whether a child has grammar rules. Right. And uh, it, it's very revealing if they struggle with those. Um, and then semantic relationships. So that would be um, along the line of, of uh, I would give you a letter in the alphabet, and then I would give you a, a range. Does it come before P? Does it come after P? Uh, does it... Uh, uh, and, and the child has to, in their own mind, be able to sequence. That would be an example of a semantic relationship. But there are, of course, there are many different concepts there as well. Um, so I, I guess the point to be made about language is it is a critical speech and language um, area for the speech path in the schools. And it does take elaborate um, assessment in order for us to not just give a generic program and try to build language in general, but to focus on the specific weaknesses that a child would be having. All right, let's now talk about social interaction. Um, and that is one of my favorite areas. Um, so with social interaction, we're mainly talking about children who have autism spectrum disorder. And if you know anything about autism, you know that there's a huge range. So there are children who don't speak at all and have very limited function. And there are children who are, you know, at the higher end of the spectrum who speak in complete sentences and... But and maybe don't follow the, the yeah, they're <laughs> rules of They can understand etiquette. complex um, cognitive, can, cognitive things, but they cannot inter... They can't interrelate with other people. And that's a that's it becomes a difficulty and a lot of people think well what difference does it make if you know say you're a, a physicist you become a physicist but you have autism spectrum disorder well uh, you know that that shouldn't limit you but it does limit you because you don't maybe have friends maybe you don't have a girlfriend that you'd like to have or maybe you can't you'd like to become a physicist at a certain business or plant or whatever but you can't pass the um, interview because you don't have interview skills because you're inappropriate. Your social skills are inappropriate. Right, and, and I used to have fun with a class that I, I taught at one time and, and about social skills, but it's, again, the, the distance that you are, uh, your personal space, so I would get right up in people's face and, and, and it would be so uncomfortable for them, or you speak, you're monitoring even the loudness of your voice <laughs> 
how loud do I need to speak when I'm, you know, three feet from you versus I'm calling to the other side of the room. Or it's, uh, and, and again, a lot of uh, children are struggling with social skills like what voice do I speak in? And by voice, I mean what, um, how do I monitor uh, my audience? So how do I speak to my grandmother versus how do I speak to my buddies? And a lot of children struggle with adjusting that. They don't have practice or, or haven't you know, gained the skills. Most of these skills are gained vicariously, right. just by watching other people. They're, They're not, not specifically taught. No, yeah. no. Uh, and so, yeah, it, or even topics, like I would say uh, to, to a student, I would say, oh, that bra looks, you look like you have a, what size of bra is that? Because it looks good on you. It just really <laughs> seems to be doing the job. <laughs> and, you know, like out of the blue or off topic or, or in a crowd or in a classroom inappropriate <laughs> that's, yeah that's inappropriate so, yeah, and, yeah and these are rules that again the brain should have patterned in mm -hmm. by observing and we're we're primed to learn language and this is one aspect of language that that uh, yeah can fall behind or mm -hmm. be disordered so the next area is my favorite cheryl and that's phonological awareness and uh you know, it came into its own probably only about 15 years ago or so, where um, in the days gone by, we would have called it like auditory discrimination, and it was very simplified. But then um, as research went on, they realized there were a, quite a battery of, of auditory processing skills and that um, children should be learning. So how I usually define it is it's the ability to perceive and manipulate sounds and sound units in your head. So an example would be for a child of um, say eight, they should be able to, um, if I said, this is your word, cat, I want you to change the k to a v. So cat to bat, and they should be able to do that in their head. A child of four or five cannot do that. No, but a child of five can do rhyming which is sort of a precursor to this. So and they can, you know, they can, they'll play with words. So they'll go, you know, hat, hat, sat, uh, and maybe they don't even know that they're rhyming and that's the word for it, but they are still playing with words. Yeah, and there are uh, about 10 um, phonological um, uh, awareness skills and they develop, they should be fully developed by the age of 10. And they lay down again that ability to listen for later on to be able to um, listen, but read and spell as well. So an example of an upper level um, skill would be, uh, I'd ask a child, what are the sounds in the word plant? And they'll only be able to tell you if they're struggling. It's pull at. I hear three sounds. So of course, when they go to spell, pull, pull, what's the letter for pull? Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, they. They haven't got the sophistication in their auditory processing. And I'll relate that back to a second language. If you were listening to um, Ukrainian and you had a multisyllabic Ukrainian word, if you don't know every single sound and keep them in order, you're not going to be able to just say that back to me. And Absolutely that's, what, it, that's yeah. what it's like for these little guys yeah. that struggle. Yeah. So phonological awareness is a very fun area to intervene with, lots of fun activities for phono awareness yes and then there's voice so with voice we have things like cleft palate 
um, and uh, vocal nodules, so they're sounding kind of hoarse. And, um, and um, then there's gender-affirming uh, voice therapy that I don't know if anybody in our school divisions have, have done that yet, but it might be coming up. Um, vocal nodules are actually when a child has, has maybe abused their voice and, right. and they grow like almost like little calluses on their vocal uh, folds, on their vocal cords. And then it, it makes it hard for them to, to sing or voice or, or project their voice. And, and children with cleft palate can have troubles with um, keeping the sound from going up and out their nose because their palates aren't working, their soft palates aren't working properly. So there are therapies for that, and we would do assessment and, and intervention, intensive intervention, and those um, can also be um, managed if, if their uh, children are given access to services. And then we have fluency, and when we say fluency, we're talking about stuttering. It'd be more commonly known as stuttering. And the first one I want to talk about is normal non-fluency. And so most children between the ages of two and six go through at least one period of normal non-fluency. So they will repeat whole words or whole phrases like, I, 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 I want to go to the store, or I want to, want to, want to, want to go to the store. Um, so that's normal non-fluency, and it usually lasts a few weeks to a few months, and the child is not aware of it. And, and it sort of comes in waves. It, yeah, it and comes in waves, and we don't know why it happens. Some of the theories are that um, their their language is moving faster than their... Articulators can, can, artic can get, catch up to them, so that could be one thing. And, and again, I would underscore, it is really not a psychological problem. No. It's a neurological problem. Right. And so... It, this area of fluency can, just like speech can lag behind or language can lag behind, the ability to keep that motor programming going fluently can lag behind uh, too. And then there's real stuttering, and that differs from normal non-fluency in the fact that it doesn't go away, number one, but also uh, it's a different kind of uh, disfluency. It's um, single sounds or um, just stopping altogether, blocking. Prolonging a sound. Prolonging like a sound. A, so I want to go to the store. Right, yeah, yeah. Or I want to go to the s s store. Yeah. yeah, many, many repetitions. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. So there is a differentiation between normal non-fluency and stuttering. And we want to, as early as we possibly can, um, speak with parents and assure them whether it's non normal non-fluency or whether there needs to be some intervention started so that the child uh, can develop uh, more fluent skills. And there are interventions for it. And uh, most children uh, would not have permanent stuttering, but about 1% of the population, one in 100 children. So that is a lot of children in Saskatchewan yeah, are stutterers. It is. And then the final one under fluency is cluttering. And I think I've maybe only had one or two students that I thought were cluttering, and it's really hard to diagnose. And it's a very... Uh, rapid pattern. It's almost like their speech is running away from them. And right. then what can also happen is then they could have reversals. It's the people that might speak quickly and then say paschetti instead of spaghetti. Right. But it's happening to them a lot. And it's going so fast, it's really hard to pick out what they're saying because they're having those reversals, but everything is scrunched together. And it can it, it then affects you know other people understanding what they're saying. Right. Or it draws attention to them and they're yeah. embarrassed that they yeah. can't control right. that. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, s uh, children with severe and complex disorders, so much so that 
they cannot speak um, at all, or maybe they can only speak minimally or can't be understood by others. And they're going to need um, an augmentative or an alternative communication system. And I love working on those systems with kids. Getting, and it can be a picture system, it can be sign language, it can be um, an iPad, it can be, they have so many modes, options, yeah. options now. And that, again, is the, uh, one of the sort of sole uh, uh, areas that the speech path is responsible for. And um, in the school system, those are the children that need probably, I would say, the most support of, of their, their very um, uh, time-consuming yeah. uh, to have... Um, and it's not, with um, augmentative and alternative communication, it's not really teaching the child how to use it. It's teaching everybody else around them how to help them use it so that they're using it as well so that this becomes a system of communication. Because uh, it, you can't just teach the child to use it and expect that they'll, they'll be the only one communicating in this fashion. <laughs> and, and again, the, there are uh, speech generating devices where, again, a child can, um, even with if they had a single movement, the movement of their head, or they, eyes. eyes, they would be able to type in a message uh, but of course, that means somebody has to teach them how to uh, read and yeah. and use uh, uh, spell and, use and the write, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so again, and they have to have language, and we have to try to assess their their skills, even though they cannot communicate back to us. So it is a very involved um, area to right. work with too. The next area that we um, would be responsible for and is. Um, not very common, but it is another complex um, communication area of, or, or where children can struggle. It's called central auditory processing disorder. And these are children that, as time goes by, I mean, it's not diagnosed usually too early because you're looking for a long-term pattern, but it's children who whose auditory processing is um, uh, neurologically a problem in further up in the brain. Sorry, I'm stuttering around here to myself. <laughs> um, it's further up in the brain that um, they're having, it would be again almost like a dyslexia in the auditory system. So actually on the brain can arrive a, a reversal of sound. And so it can happen um, uh, here and there so that the child, you know, hears the word say cat, they hear it tack and then they hear it cat, and then they hear it act. And, it, and so to learn language and it, to have a stable signal go to the brain is an issue. And this area is diagnosed really uh, through an audiologist. It has to have that level of, and, and um, it requires sort of sophisticated um, technical assessment. Um, the outcome of that is children who have that type of disorder then have to sort of learn ways of compensating for that. And, you know, we're relying on the visual system um, to help. Uh, and again, it, for some kids, they also have trouble in the visual uh, centers too. So those areas, it's, it's a unique profile of, of a problem that a child can right. have troubles with. Another um, issue that SLPs deal with, although I haven't dealt with it in the school, is swallowing. Swallowing requires a, a whole 
medical team of interventionists and assessors to, to determine what's appropriate for a child. But I will say I have dealt with children who have come to school with swallowing issues and then I've had to supervise a feeding program for them that you know has been already set up. So that's a, a very specialized area and I, I wouldn't venture into that without the proper training. No, you'd really need your colleagues to be that specialize in that area. That and it takes a lot of years. Yeah. So it's as sophisticated as um, doing uh, video studies, of an x-ray video study. Live. Yes, of yeah. children who are, are swallowing different textures. And the biggest issue is whether they would be at risk for anything to go into their lungs. And um, again, maybe not so much in the school-related school topic, but... Um, they even do this with newborns and little preemies and the speech paths are directly involved in deciding whether a child's safe to eat orally or whether they still need to be fed through their nose or tummy. Um, and then we have hearing impairments and of course speech language pathologists are um, really involved with hearing impairment which I, is another area that I just love. So the beginning part is screening. You want to screen as many kids as you can, screen them all if you can. Um, and then if you find some that look like they may have uh, hearing difficulty, if it's a medical issue, you want to refer them to the physician. If it's not, you want to do an assessment, further assessment, get that done by an audiologist. Um, and then set up the intervention and figure out, you know, do they need a device? And after they have their device or whatever all set up, what, um, what kind of things do we need to do for speech and language? And, and those things would be, similar to what we've already talked about in the uh, speech and the language section, but just with the, the, no, the notion that they can't always hear the sounds. So, And we have a little sneak preview that we are going to be having a guest in one of our podcasts coming up who is an audiologist. So we'll be talking about that yes. area a lot more. So that'll be expanded. So if you're interested in audiology, make sure you catch that one. Mm -hmm. And then an area that I know you're totally familiar with Sherry is um, traumatic brain injury. I mean, not because you, you have okay then, uh, <laughs> because no, you I, have experience I, working with people. Yes, I thank you, Cheryl, for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> so I yes, half of my career was actually in the medical setting, and uh, yeah, this is again one of my favorite areas that I worked in, and and uh, when someone acquires an injury to the brain. Um, and that child's returning into the school system, it is an absolutely different profile than any type of learning uh, problem that they have. Their, their difficulties can be in anything. It could be cognitively, it could be motor, it could be emotional regulation. It, it, it's really in any area that the brain was affected. Reading or writing. Yes, and so the speech pathologist is one of the key players, in addition to the colleagues like the, the educational psychologist or the occupational therapist or physical therapist. Um, and so those children returning to school need a lot of support, and they um, can't just sort of get absorbed into the classroom. Lots of times they do need um, even uh, time to just edge back to school. Um, and unfortunately, I, it be due to, again, the limitations and services, this is an area that I also think, and we've talked about it before on our other podcast, that 
it's it, it's the ex exclusive area of the speech path to to that other uh, others can't fill. There needs to be services provided to these kids. And then uh, one of my favorite groups of kids are the kids who have English as a second language. But one of the difficulties of this, of course, if they're just learning English as a second language, or an additional language, as an additional language, yeah. and they're they're young, you know, the chances are they're probably going to come along just fine. One of the difficulties is the teachers don't know sometimes what the difficulty is, right? So, and it is hard to know if you have a child that comes into your classroom that is not functioning well, you don't know if it's because they don't know English or because they had a language difficulty in their first language and then are going to have a language difficulty in English as well. And again, in some of the, like in, in the states where they have sort of more services than we do, you almost need exclusivity to be able to, to do that type a of specialist. In involvement. Yeah. But again, we, I think we do provide uh, an, an extra uh, dimension to being able to determine what the child's having trouble with. The same thing we talked about is the vocabulary, is the length of the, like it, it's really virtually the same type of, of intervention and those children can, can dovetail into the speech paths realm quite easily. Yeah. And then we have selective mutism, which is you know another group of kids that I love working with, mainly because they are such a motivated group of learners. These, these are kids who really, really, really want to talk, but because of extreme anxiety in whatever situation they're in, usually school, um, they simply can't, like they just simply can't. And developing, a, you know, a, a program that's just right for them, with them in control of the program and understanding, you know, what behavior means, behavior modification it, we call it, where it's going tippy, tippy, very tippy, tiny, small toy. amounts, and and the child being totally in control of it and saying, I'm ready for the next step, and I'm ready for this, and you know, I I don't feel comfortable talking to my teacher, but. Maybe I would write a note to my teacher. I don't feel comfortable talking to my teacher, but maybe I would whisper outside the classroom to my teacher. There, it's, it's such a, a rewarding uh, area because if you can get them to where they want to be, it's just so exciting. And I think kids like this need to know what they have. The, oh, they absolutely. need that meta skill. They need to step back and go, oh, and, and that there's hope, and this is how we do it, and there's nothing wrong with you, but we just have to get the brain to practice these these strategies and the word selective in there is is uh, descriptive because what it is is children can speak in certain contexts but not others right and so um, so they can speak maybe at home with their family and you know be dramatic and tell stories and you yeah know, be animated just, and parents yeah. will give us little videos and so well this yeah. is their this is them at home and you're like oh, okay well they only say two words during the day at school yeah, and, yeah. But the ramifications of that being untreated are kind of drastic because it's, it's the same thing that we talked about. As time goes by, especially with expressive language and, and patterning your speech, and you, you have to practice expressive grammar and vocabulary and social skills and all of those things. And if you don't practice, then what's happening is the brain is not mapping in those skills at the same level as their peers, so they slowly drop behind everybody. And the other thing that I would say about selective mutism is if they don't get help as a group, they are at high, high risk for um, self-harm and, 
and for substance abuse. So we really need to get to those kids because... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lonely world out there. And, and again, they're, they really, they can't get out of it unless someone is going yeah. to help them. Yeah, and they want to, they really want to, to speak. So, And the last area I, that we've uh, written down, which, which doesn't occur very often, but is called nonverbal learning disability. And again, a, a, a diagnosis that um, the speech path and the psychologist work together. They t usually team in this area because it is a split between a child's ability to uh, perform and their ability to speak. Um, so again, they have more, they really may have uh, cognitive skills um, or intelligence that is, you know, like their, their peers or, or better, but they're not able to uh, communicate that, at that level. So it, again, uh, probably not enough time to really explain all of these exactly, but I think our, our aim for this podcast was to give you an idea and for again we've talked about I, we don't think people know what we do <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, if you ask someone on the street what does a speech pathologist do in the school and again we're hoping that we've uh, given you a little bit of enlightenment and educated you a little bit on what we do yeah and you know what we'd love to hear from you we have a website it's called letstalktalking.com and you can go over there and send us some emails, or you can go on Facebook also, Let's Talk, all one word, and then, uh, no wait, Let's Talk, yeah, all one word, and then Talking, that's on Facebook. And um, so give us some questions. Also, you know what, we're gonna, we'll have a blog with all of these things. So if any of this wasn't clear, if we were to, you know, here, there, and everywhere for you, uh, we'll if you're a visual learner yes. versus an auditory learner. There we go. Learner. That's a nicer way to put it. <laughs> if you're a visual learner, uh, we'll have a blog all about this on our website, and you can read up on it. And if you're a parent, hopefully you'll learn more. If you're a teacher or an administrator, you'll learn more. And maybe if you're just a, a high school student, not just, but if you're a high school student and you're thinking about maybe going into this field, we'd love to hear from you. We'll answer any questions we can. We'll give you any help that we can. And, yeah, yeah, try just, to direct you to, to resources yeah, yeah. or people or Reach whatever. Out. We yeah. are retired, but we oh, would right. be glad to, yes. to uh, support, support yeah. you however yeah. we can. So um, anyway, with that, for Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. Let's, Let's talk. talk.